Well, good morning. If you don't know who I am, I'm Bill Hilligans. I'm the uh, youth director here at the Cedar Lake campus. And uh, excited to be up here. And uh, Pastor Mark was talking a little bit ago. It was uh, 2017. We go into 2018. And as I look back on 2017 personally, you know, I look at Bethel Church and what God is doing through uh, us as a church. We're a gospel-centered church. We're growing. We're growing disciples. Uh, working here at the Cedar Lake campus has been a joy. Our staff here has a lot of fun. We get a lot of work done. Um, and as you can tell, Pastor Mark and I, we go shopping together. And we like to pick out the same sweaters and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, yeah. But uh, no, we really do get along great here, and God is blessing this. I personally am enjoying the empty nest. Uh, my bride and I have a lot of fun together, enjoy each other's company. But as we look back on 2017, some of you are coming in here, and this year has not been that kind of year. This year has been a year that you uh, have lost a loved one, some that you treasured in your life, and they've passed away. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life, and you look at 2017, and you go, yeah, that year really stunk. I, I would love this relationship to be great, but it's not. Or maybe you've struggled with health issues, and you just, it doesn't seem to go away, and, and you just wonder, what, God, what is God doing in my life? And, and so you look forward to 2018 and say, ah, I hope 2018's better. But as we look forward to 2018, we ask the question, what will it bring? But I think maybe a better question that we ask is, how will we live life out when whatever 2018 brings? What will our lives look like? Our passage is going to be in the book of Galatians. If you want to turn there in your Bible, Galatians is two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the Bible. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. And as you can tell from the text or uh, from the uh, sermon title, it's identity crisis. And we struggle with an identity crisis all the time. There are stolen identities. Hackers steal the identity of millions of people, whether at Yahoo or Target or somewhere else. These identities are stolen. And we personally had uh, some credit card information stolen a few years ago. These thieves are really good. They're good at what they do. It's just not good what they do. But they actually were able to somehow get through my wife's purse, get our credit card number, and uh, they were using our credit card to buy stuff that... <clears throat> Yeah, we didn't normally buy or shop at. And uh, in the end, things worked out fine, but there were a few anxious moments. And uh, we strive to protect our financial identity. We even buy identity protection so that banks or whatever will remind us that uh, how our identity is doing, that nothing is being stolen. Working in the student ministry with high school students and middle school students so many times, I see them struggle with an identity, and the identity is, where do I fit in? What friends can I trust? Who, who do I go to in a time of need? And I had a, a well-deserving mom come to me at the beginning of the school year, and the name of our student ministry is Verge. Students are on the verge of making many life decisions, and we have different Verge gear. And she came to me and she said, could my son have a Verge bracelet so that he would fit in, that he would identify with the group? And I said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love him to be a part of this, to feel a part of that, to have this 
uh, identity as well. But as adults, we struggle with this also. What is my identity? What is my identity as a dad? What is my identity as a father, as a husband, as a youth pastor, as a, a worker? What, what do we do with these things? And where do I fit in in this crazy world? And we search all in spots that we think we may look good to others. And uh, we seek out our passions. Are you a Bears fan? Are you a Sox fan? Are you a Northside fan? Uh, what are you? All the time we gain, try to gain this identity of a sports-related team so that others will like us or we will feel part of. And sometimes we do it with where we live. Maybe I live in Cedar Lake, you live here, they live there, whatever. And we get an identity. And all the time with all of these identities, what happens is we start to judge or to be judged. Well, I live in a better neighborhood than they live, so I must be a little bit better. I live in a worse neighborhood than they live in, or I have a losing team versus a winning team or whatever. And so in all of that, we stack up and we say either I'm successful or I am failing miserably. And we're in a serious identity crisis. And in the book of Galatians, I think the church at Galatia, too, was struggling with an identity crisis. Galatians 1, 6 through 10 Paul writes to them, the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seek, for I now seeking the approval of a man or God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul starts out this letter basically to the church in Galatians, says this, I'm astonished at you that you are so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but I've had this. Somebody says, I am so astonished at you. Usually it was my mother when I was in my childhood years. She said, I am so astonished. It wasn't because I was getting good grades, but it was because I was doing something bad. I can't believe you did that. I'm astonished. Or maybe you've had on the other flip side, you've had somebody come to you and say, I am, I'm astonished that you did that. And then you think to yourself, so you didn't think too much of me, huh? I knew I had this all along. But Paul is saying to the church in Galatia, I am astonished. Because this gospel of Christ, you, you are just deserting it so quickly. You had a church here that was primarily Gentile believers. And as we will read in a minute, it appears that there are some that are coming from Jerusalem, Jewish people, and what they are doing is they are adding a few Jewish traditions and customs to the gospel of Jesus Christ, making that part of the whole salvation package. Jesus died for our sins. That's not enough. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to eat this. You need to eat that. Adding to Christ where Christ never needs to be added to. And so we go to our, pa our, our next passage in uh, chapter 2, verses 11. 
But when Cephas, that's uh, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, Jerusalem, and he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And Paul goes on to say this, But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What we see happening here is... Paul's rebuke of Peter, and Paul's rebuke of Peter comes face to face. It is a confrontation. Uh, Brad Bigney said this, Our spoken theology needs to be the same as our practice theology. What you're saying and believing this Sunday morning needs to be lived out outside the walls of this church. And one of the crutches that we find that Uh, for people not coming to church is they say there's way too many hypocrites in the church. Why does that happen? Because our practice theology, our spoken theology, is not the same way that we live our lives. If we say something, we need to live that. And here Peter, he's been hanging out with the Gentiles, the Gentile believers. He's been eating with them. But suddenly, some old Jewish friends come into town, and he ditches the Gentiles for the Jewish friends. He was fearing what the Jewish friends might say. He was fearing man. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare. Peter had fallen into a snare because he was fearing man. He wanted identity with both the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, and in reality, he could have had that. But he wanted to play both sides of the fence. He turned his back on the Gentile believers in fear of what the Jewish believers might think. A hypocrisy that we see is a stumbling block to the Gentiles. And Paul calls them out on this. And Paul calls them out face to face. If it's not done face to face, guess what happens? It it begins to cause other people to stumble. It leads to rumor and it leads to gossip. And we're seeing unity in the church right here lived out in an amazing way by Paul's actions. If you have a problem with someone, please go to them personally, one-on-one. 
don't get a group of people to support you because the group of people you are getting most likely think like you and they're your friends. Go to them one-on-one. And if it doesn't get resolved, get two two elders to come with you. Because this is what Paul is saying here. I went to Peter face to face. I confronted him. The unity of the church is so vital to the health of the church. And the unity of the church, please understand this, is so vital to what the community sees. If the community sees the church arguing and fighting, why would they want to be a part of that? Because they can get that anywhere. And so this is very vital. Are we hypocritical in the way that we live out our life with each other? And Paul sees that Peter is out of step with the gospel. And so what Paul does is he calls Peter out face to face. And he says, here, this is what we need to talk about. And then we go in verses 15. We'll go back to that right now. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Not justified by works. And I don't know where you're landing today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, but if you're thinking that all the works that you've done, I don't care how many ladies you've walked across the street, I don't know, I don't care how many times that you have bought cookies off the Girl Scouts, whatever you want to call a good work, you're not going to be saved by that. He says it's not by works. It doesn't matter what kind of works that you think you've done. And the Jewish people that come to town here, they had certain things they had to do as covenant people of God in the Old Testament. And some of them were adding that to Jesus. And he says, no. You know, just because you eat certain meats, just because you do certain things, that's not going to save you. It's not by works that you are justified. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. At that point, you are justified. And you may say, what's this whole justification that you're talking about? Justification is an act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous. It is an act of God. It is not a process that you go through. Just because you do certain good things, you don't become more righteous. It is an act of God. And Warren Wiersbe says it really well. In justification, God declares the believing sinner righteous. He does not make them righteous. Before the sinner trusts Christ... He stands guilty before God. So for all of us, we're all there at one point. We're all sinners without a Savior. We stood guilty before God. But the moment he trusts Christ, he is declared not guilty. Isn't that a wonderful thing? At that moment, not guilty, Bill. Woohoo! Yes. It's nothing I had to do. It was God declaring me not guilty because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. We are righteous in the eyes of God. But I want you to note what Warren Wiersbe says here. He says, the believing sinner. Sin is what we do when God is not good enough. 
Sin is what I do when I believe I can do life on my own. When I, my identity is about me and not about him. Our lives become about self-justification at that time. God does not declare people righteous if they think that they are good people. He does not declare them righteous if they think that they have kept the law. He declares them righteous when they realize that they are a sinner in a desperate need of a Savior. Because by the works of the law, no one will be saved. The law says do, and grace says done. Yet there are even times after salvation that we as Christians struggle with our identity and that whole work factor of doing more things. We desperately search for a place to fit in, and it happens in the church. Our serving becomes our identity. I'm a youth worker. I work with teenagers. You know teenagers. (laughs) you got to give me a little extra crown here because I work with teenagers. Do you know what they're all about? help me out, I'm a youth worker. Or maybe on the flip side, maybe you're one of the uh, fine, fine Christian people who work uh, with our children's ministry, those kids that have the snot running out of their nose, and, you know, you got to deal with that every Sunday. And you go, I'm a children's worker. I am a great servant of God. And maybe you lead a small group or whatever. And, and let me just say this. Those are wonderful serving opportunities, and please continue to do that. But those cannot become our identity. Those are a result of our faith in Christ. Those are works that are prepared in advance for us to do, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us. And they are not things that should define us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Simply put, Christ died on the cross for you and for me. And I die to self when I trust Christ because I realize that it's not anything I can do. It's been done. And here is the amazing description of the life of a believer. He is crucified, yet he lives. The old person before we were, before Christ, is now dead. Romans 6, 6 says this. We know that our old self was crucified in him, by him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Are we going to sin? Yes, we are. We are humans, but we are not enslaved to that anymore. We are freed from that when we have trusted Christ on the cross. He died. He took my sin, my shame, to the cross. And I'm no longer enslaved to it. The new man is living, but he is dead to the world. He is dead to the law, but he is alive in Christ. And I know this is strange. It's like you're dead, you're alive, you go back and forth. I live, but I no longer live. We live in the grace of God. We have the comforts and the victories of living in grace, but yet we're in a state of dependence as well. 
Because I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And my identity needs to be in Christ and not in me. And yet I think today in churches, we too many times struggle with this and we're no different than the world. Christ isn't really enough. We're playing the Peter game. Our identity is not focused on Christ, but it's focused on me. How do I look in the different situations that I put myself? Or is Christ the sinner in all of those situations? I become the sinner of my own attention. And we need to have an identity for the world to see because Christ sometimes just isn't enough. We do it in a Christian fashion, don't we? I'm not saying we hang out at the pubs or we're looking at pornographic material, but we do it in Christian ways. I want to be the best Christian dad I can be, so I'm going to uh, spend as much time as I kid with, uh, with my kids and their sports team. I'm just going to pour into them and their sports team as much as I can. Pour so much sports into them, we fail to pour into them spiritually. Our identity becomes sports. Their identity becomes sports. We want to be the best parents ever, so we keep ourselves so busy with the good things in life. We're too exhausted to pray with our kids at night. We show them that being busy is better than being in relationship. Our identity becomes not about Him, It becomes about what we are doing and not who died for us. I'll work 70 hours a week. I'll show my family that I have a good work ethic because Proverbs tells us God does not like a sluggard. Throw Scripture in there to make us feel good. But our marriage struggles. It's more about worldly success than it is about a godly marriage. Work becomes our identity. And you can take whatever's in your life, whatever you're putting over Him right now. And so much of what we do becomes who we are. It is not bad to coach your kids' sports teams. It is a good thing. We need Christians coaching sports teams in the community. That is a good thing. But when it prioritizes Christ... It takes precedence in your life. Two parents working is not a bad thing or having a good job. But when it becomes who you are, when our children see what we are doing, they will model what we are doing. And if Jesus isn't the center, it will not be the center for them. I don't know where. I've heard at different times where it's come from. But it's a 10-year uh, rule or ten-year thought. When your child is seven, eight, and nine years old, whatever you are teaching them at that time, that's what they will be doing when they're 17, 18, and 19. So if it is not important for you to have your kids in church when they are seven, eight, and nine, guess who will not be attending church when they are 17, 18, and 19? Yours. If sports are more important when they're 7, 8, and 9, it's where they'll be when they're 17, 18, and 19. 
And that becomes our identity and that becomes the precedent in life. And our identity is more important in something else outside of Christ. Our children will find something more important than Christ. And it goes back to what I said before. Our spoken theology needs to be the same as our practice theology. Otherwise, it will be perceived as hypocrisy. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. The life that you are living right now, you are living in the flesh. And I live by the faith in the Son of God. To the outward appearance, we're no different than anybody else. We laugh, we joke, we're, we're sad, we cry, we rejoice, we take our lives to ball games, we take ourselves to work, to the theaters. Uh, it's about being parents and grandparents and friends and neighbors. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a higher calling that our lives are not our own, but they need to be submerged in the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As we live our lives in the flesh, we don't live after the flesh. We don't seek an identity that's in the flesh, but an identity in Christ. Those who have faith live by faith. And the great thing that ties us to that faith is the servant Jesus Christ. The life I live now uh, live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The great evidence that Christ loves us is that he was crucified for us. For our sins, he died in our place. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's an amazing love, Jesus. Is this, that he not only laid down his life for us, <clears throat> but he did it when we didn't even like him. We had our backs turned on him. You know, and when I think about that, I, I, I think about, you know, if this defines man and you lay down your life, that's the greatest love that you can show. You know, I look in my, my family and say, well, of course I would die for my wife and my daughters and students in the youth ministry and, you know, some friends. But, you know, honestly, there are some people that, for all honest, we would say, uh, Probably one. The guy that's in prison that has killed people. Take my life instead of his. None of us are signing up for that. For that person who has abused children. Yeah, take my life instead of his. None of us would sign up for that. But that's the unconditional love that my Savior has. Because when that person in jail has, that has done those things that we cannot forgive them for, and they come to a point of saying, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I trust Jesus Christ. He forgives them. The people that we could never forgive, He forgives. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Is that what you are reflecting to the world? Is that what you are reflecting to your family? Is that what you are reflecting to your neighbors? It's New Year's Eve, and so many of you will go to parties tonight. And all of us will make New Year's resolutions. And even some of you who sit there to say, and are going, (laughs) you don't know me, I don't make New Year's resolutions. Well, there's two things I'd like to say to you. Number one, you've already made a resolution not to make a resolution. But the thing that scares me more in the Christian walk is when we are not willing to make change, when we're saying that I'm not going to make a resolution or whatever it is, we are saying as Christians we have got to the point we don't need change. We're good where we're at. And in the Christian life, that is a very, very dangerous place to be. Because if we think we've got there, we're wrong. We have never got to the point of not needing change until we get to heaven with Him. Others will make resolutions, and they will break them by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they'll go, look at that, I had 10 hours, Woohoo! And we'll go on living our lives the same way we did before. And I know this. Resolutions are a man-made thing. Something that the world has come up with. But what if we took it on a spiritual level and applied it to our own lives? What if we looked at this past year and said, what are the things that are, I am putting above Christ In 2017, it's not that I worked for Bethel Church or had this great church family or, you know, I was involved in this or that. What am I putting ahead of Christ? What is more important to me? That's the tough questions. What do people see in my identity? Is it in a sports team? Trust me, if any of you know me very well, you know I love sports. And it's a struggle sometimes because my identity wants to be linked with the Blackhawks or whoever. I'm going to just tell you, if your identity is in a sports team, they're going to fail you. They won't win every championship. The players will let you down. Are sports what you worship? Is your identity in your job? Question is, if you lose your job, would Christ still be enough? Is your identity in your spouse or your children? What if they were taken away from you today? Would Christ be enough? Has your identity in Christ been stolen by the subtle parts of the world? Psalm 139, 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Think about that verse again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
could this be a resolution that we make as individuals that we prayed every day of 2018? When you wake up in the morning, before you go to the gym, before you get a cup of coffee, before you have to deal with the kids, you take five minutes and you pray this. And you, you don't just blow over it like, ah, oh, search, search me, oh God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. Okay, I'm out of here. Meditate on it. Think about it. Because if we do our own thoughts, our own thoughts are self-motivated and they will be self-justified. And if we are self-justified, we do not need a Savior because we are our own Savior. But if our hearts are turned to God, seeking, our, seeking His will, our identity will be in Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May that be the cry of our heart this year, that our identity will be in Jesus Christ who loved me and died for me. And when that happens, our spoken theology will reflect our lived out theology.